NG Meets is brought to you by NG Digital. Visit our website at www.ng-digital.co.uk and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash NG Digital or follow us on Twitter at NG Digital UK. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of NG Meets. This is episode 15 in the series and this week's guest is the acclaimed author CJ Tudor. CJ Tudor released her first novel, The Chalk Man, back at the beginning of last year and uh, received massive acclaim for it. Fantastic novel, uh, highly recommended reading, especially to anyone that likes sort of horror, thrillers, that kind of thing. And it was great to have a chat with uh, CJ, who, who uh, until recently was living in Nottingham, but has now moved down south for family, but grew up in Nottingham. So we had a chat about areas that she used to go to to write, things like that. Uh, of course, talking about the book, talking about what it was like when her all-time favourite author, Stephen King, tweeted out about how much he enjoyed the book, which, of course, was a surreal moment, and we had a great chat about that. We also talk about the perseverance and getting your first novel out, um, you know, CJ had had other works before that hadn't been published. She'd had suggestions that she should maybe alter her writing style. And it was talking about sort of, you know, keeping going, writing what you want to write and finally getting there and seeing it become a success, which led into, of course, the recent release of her second novel, The Taking of Annie Thorne, which is out now. And you can, you can get from Nottingham shops like Waterstones and, of course, online. And it was great to sit down with CJ and have a chat about that. And if you want to know more about CJ Tudor's work, you can follow her on Twitter, um, at CJ Tudor. Uh, a bit more then, of course, so let's see, episode 15. Uh, so other, I'm looking at some of the other shows that maybe work alongside this. And uh, so looking at some of the people from the City of Literature that we've spoken to in the past, such as uh, the director, Sandeep Mahal, uh, Matt Turpin, who's uh, also a work published, a big part of the city literature and, of course, runs Beestonian, and uh, youth poet laureate Georgina Wilding. So there's some of the other shows you might want to check out if you enjoy this one. We've got shows with authors coming up as well. Uh, one we'll hopefully be announcing in the next couple of days that we're really excited about. So keep checking on our social medias for that, where you can find us, of course, on Facebook at NG Digital and on Twitter at NG Digital UK. And don't forget, you can get all episodes of the NG Meets podcast at ngdigital.podbean.com on iTunes and other podcast apps. So that's all for now. I'm going to let you enjoy the latest episode. This is NG Meets episode 15 with CJ Tudor. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. No, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. I wanted to start off actually just by saying congratulations because I saw on Twitter. I think did you get married at the weekend or 
beginning of the week. We, well, yeah, we did. We got married on Monday, actually. Monday, um, yeah. Yeah, well, Monday, yeah. It's, it's, I think, um, personally, it's, it's more about an occasion. It's like celebrating it with your family, like you're saying. And, uh, yeah, and, it is. And then we had a little girl was there. And, um, yeah. We, uh, we, yeah my, I had my, my black sparkly top and my partner had his skull shirt on. Oh, um, and we weren't going to have a wedding cake, but then um, my partner's mum, um, uh, her friend makes these really nice wedding cakes and uh, she surprised us with this wedding cake done out by the, like, the night there before Christmas with Jack Skellington excellent talking about your wedding there and uh you know the nightmare before christmas and obviously your books yeah. and you know you know in your you sort of grew up reading stephen king and that so it seems like you you're definitely sort of a fan of that that, that dark humor twisted stories that kind yeah, of thing yeah absolutely yeah i mean i it, it's weird actually because my parents are actually really really normal um and you know neither of them like that sort of stuff or read anything particularly dark or watch anything like that but I think a lot of kids I mean I remember reading ghost stories and, and sort of creepy stories from a really early age even though they gave me really bad nightmares <laughs> and then I sort of discovered Stephen King and I sort of did all the classic ones and stuff and then I sort of discovered Stephen King aged around 12 um, getting Christine from the library my dad's library card <laughs> um, and that was it there was, there was no going back but then it was in the 80s I think Horror was really big in the 80s, so you saw a lot of those James Herbert, Stephen King, Dean Coombs. You'd go into sort of the bookstore or wherever, and, and you'd see those really sort of garish, kind of gory covers. You remember the ones like there was the one with the fog with like the head being held up and stuff? Yeah. And I think as a kid, there's something just really kind of tempting about that. It's like, oh, it's kind of forbidden, therefore I want to read it even more. Um, one of my friends' dad had all the Stephen King books lined up on the bookshelves as well. It was just, I want to read that. Um, yeah, and that was it. I was, I was just kind of hooked. I mean, King's obviously an incredible storyteller. Yeah. I think, you know, he, he hooks he hooks you in with that in a way. It kind of leads you a little bit sort of into the darkness quite gently in some regards. Uh, but that, yeah, and then I think, yeah, but like a lot of teenagers, a lot of teenagers do read horror. Um, I, I never really grew out of it. But yeah, horror, dark, dark stuff, all that sort of thing. Having said that, though, I love reading horror. Um, and I love dark, creepy stuff. And I like collecting skulls. I've got a lot of skull jewellery and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of really gory horror films. I okay. like a good creepy horror film and a bit of psychological horror. But yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that whole sort of phase we had with a lot of like, what they called it, the, the torture porn sort of horror film. No, yeah. Um, yeah, not, not for me. But give me a good like psychological, old-fashioned kind of, you know, scary you know those sort of you, know, you don't need to see the monster yeah of yeah i know yeah kind of that, that type of psychological horror yeah where it's sort of almost you know, like you say it cre creeps up it's on you your and it's what yes your head is much more scary just seeing, you know, limbs locked off and more inventive ways to torture people and blood and gore. That's not actually scary. That's just like, 
yuck. I've, I've got no interest in, in that kind of stomach churn sort of horror. For me, it's about what you can imagine in your head. Yes. Um, and then go to bed thinking about that is genuinely scary. You know, lying there thinking, what was that noise I heard? And, and things coming back that, you know, are playing on your mind. Um, that's the best type of horror. I think you're right. And it, I mean, although, I mean, it's maybe not a horror film, but that was one of the, the things that's always said a lot about Jaws. And I know oh, God, a, yeah. a lot was down. Obviously, the budget played a big part, the, the shark itself. But it was the the fear of the shark and the mu. I mean, the yeah. music more music, than anything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in, in film as well, I think you know, particularly music. Um, and, and so what you don't see can be very scary. So you can create a very scary atmosphere without seeing anything. Um, and that's that's a nice thing. I think when you're sort of writing books, in a way, you try to sort of recreate that to an extent as well. I think what's left unsaid it can be just as scary and creepy as what you do put on the page. If that yes. makes sense. And so I, I think, think you can set something up. But then let the reader's imagination do the rest to an extent. Yes. I mean, and I think even more so in books, because I know for me, when I read a book, I feel far more in that world than I do when I'm watching something yeah. on screen. Because you do, you like you, say, you build the entire, you know, to a degree, although there's descriptions and things of people, to a degree you you decide or develop the the surroundings, what the people look like. You know, even in your mind, you'll be yeah, picturing what their it. house looks like, even bits that aren't mentioned. Yeah. So you it can... You create it all in your head, and then, you know, your imagination could kind of run with it as well. Yeah, so when... So I think that's what's fun, yeah. Yeah, and when, when a character's being, you know, haunted or, you know, followed through a wood or something, you feel like you are often, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're in there with them. And exactly. Books have always scared me more than films, I think, from uh, reading books, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, I read uh, The Chalkman last year. Uh, I've got the, the paperback version of it. And thank you. It's, <laughs> I, it, I loved it. Um, oh, it was great. You. And, uh, I mean, I'm a big, uh, I mean, I like fantasy books as well, but I'm a big Stephen King fan yeah, anyway. So, yeah, obviously, I, I was sold. As, and I mean, <laughs> I imagine you're he, still... He's right like here, I think... For, for a lot of people, sort of, you know, you, you're growing, you're growing up with his books as well. I was yeah. reading them out at twelve, and and you know, because he's so prolific. Yeah. Um, you know, you pretty much you know have your Stephen King book a year, or your two Stephen King books a year. <laughs> yeah. And, and I sort of read him throughout my life, and so I think you know, sort of different parts of my life, it's like, well, that's where I read, you know, this book or the other book, and it's yeah, it's it's, it's it, he's he's kind of such a hero of mine. I think. Yeah, obviously I'm, I am hugely influenced, and the Chalkman um, was in a way that 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 was my big homage, I think, yeah. to Stephen King and all the stuff that I loved growing up in the eighties. All those kind of films you get as well with kind of gangs of teens getting into these dark adventures. Um, you know, sort of the Stephen King style, uh, Stephen Spielberg style films, uh, things like The Goonies, um, and obviously Snap by Me, which was developed from you know, Stephen King book The Body, um, and even stuff like The Lost Boys. I love all that sort of stuff. I think. And my own 80s kind of teenage years yeah. went into the Chalkman. Um, and, you know, and, and there are obvious, you know, there are deliberate nods to these kid books in there as well, just because I thought it'd be quite fun to do, really, because <laughs> I knew that so many people would be like, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, like Stephen King, or trying to be like Stephen King, because I knew I'd get that accusation as well. Of course, so yeah. fun to just pop some deliberate stuff in there too, you know. Um, so why, you know, you have characters called Mr. Halloran and, you know, there's, a little nod to Pet Cemetery in there at one point, and you know, lots of little Easter eggs like that, really. Um, but I've, I've always wanted to write that type of, that type of, you know, childhood, you know, kids getting a bit dark adventure. 
um, type of book. But primarily, what I really wanted to do was set it in the UK. That was always a big thing. It's like, yeah. thought, why can't we have kind of a British kind of version of these types of stories, really? You know, why is nobody writing these types of stories in, in, in UK fiction? Um, I felt like that, certainly the setting, making it in the UK, making it very British was really important as well. Excellent. And I, I really liked the the sort of flipping back and forth, um, you know, between the, the, the areas, so the, ch- yeah, the childhood and the growth. Because I felt that, um, one, it kept me wanting to read because I wanted to know the next bit of the bit I've just read. And then, you know, because obviously it went from one to the other. But also, I That's think it, it kept you on edge um, yeah. because you were jumping from one to another. And I, yeah. I, I thought and, that worked really well, and that that must be a very difficult thing to get right because in fact it's almost like two stories mixed in. Yeah, it, I mean, I actually wrote all of the because um, obviously it alternates chapters from yeah. 1986 to 2016. I wrote all of the 1986 bits first because um, I wanted to just get the kids stuff down. Yeah. I basically have got all the all the 1986 sections down and the, and the bits I wanted to get in there I knew I wanted to get in there that that timeline of how that developed um, but like, to an extent and then I started writing the 2016 parts um, and I, you know, I, I did cross my mind briefly that I could maybe write it in part one and part two but then I knew that just wasn't going to work um, and then I knew right now what I need to do is alternate because like yeah. you say it keeps the tension up you can keep the mystery going in one bit then you go into the you know the other timeline and then you leave that on a cliffhanger and you can keep that tension going and, and you sort of find out what's going bit by bit in both timelines and kind of, sort of then make them come together. Yeah. Um, so that was quite fun doing. What, what it involved, of course, was, was by doing it and that was, was a lot of tweaking of chapter endings and, and cliffhangers as I went along to make sure it all flowed um, from one to the other and also to make sure you had something interesting going on in both timelines as well. Yeah. So you weren't sort of flipping through one to get back to the other one. But yeah, as a writer, it's, yeah, it's a good device to create tension as well. Yes, definitely, and I think, um, like you said, because it flips, it it allows the story to tell without. Because I think one of the problems maybe with having done part one, part two, is how do you not give away too much in the first part? Yes. Because yeah. there's obviously there's bits that happen that you don't find out about later on that are massively important to what happens in the grown-up yeah, years yeah. that you don't see, you don't know about, but obviously if you'd have, it would have meant having to potentially try and find ways to try and let them bits not come out until they talk about them in the adult years sort of thing. That's it, and it was a conflict yeah. between making sure as well that actually, you, as I was doing that, even alternating chapters to make sure that you weren't too far ahead in one bit and, and, and you weren't giving anything away. Uh, and, and I should say, yeah, I think it was just been a bit of more an information dump um, in a way, by doing it in two parts, so it worked very well in building the tension and, and, and dropping breadcrumbs and little hints all the yeah. way, so you, you're never quite sure what's going on. Uh, so in terms of reveals and and, and, and twists and things, that that sort of device worked very well. And it, it, it's always it, you know whenever you're writing anything that is reliant upon sort of only giving away bits of information because you want to keep the reader in the dark to an extent. And and readers are so sophisticated now with, with thrillers and mysteries yeah. as well. So I think, you know, surprising readers um, and not having them guess who done it or the ending or, you know, the, the twist or the reveal is harder and harder because, yeah. you know, you know, thriller writers who specifically read a lot of mysteries and thrillers are very seasoned and they're used to spotting 
what the author is going to do. Yeah. So it's trying to keep just something back is sort of the key. And I think what you have to do in a way is sort of feed breadcrumbs so somebody gets a few of the reveals which go along or part of, you know, the ending. But hopefully there's a bit that they still go, oh, no, yeah, I got that, but I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I don't, I mean, I, obviously I don't want to, to say too much about what actually happens because yeah. there'll probably be people <laughs> uh, listening. Exactly, and it would totally it is that is it's such so important the things that happen that you know one tiny little thing will completely change the enjoyment of the book um but yeah. i certainly there were certainly elements of it uh, in the end of that that i didn't see coming and Excellent. and i would consider i read, i say i read a lot of, of thrillers horrors fantasy and you know like you say these days you're almost um tuned into looking for a twist you expect yeah. them now, but yeah, I mean, in my thing is when... sorry, no, sorry, go on. Yeah, my 12-year-old read it after me, my, my oh, eldest, and even he said, he, I mean, he, he really enjoyed it, and I think he said, he did say the end was weird, <laughs> which I, I personally, I think that's a, I mean, that sounds like a brilliant compliment, compliment. yeah, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but but yeah, I mean, and I thought for, and for a debut as well, for a, you know, debut novel, I mean, you must be yeah, thrilled. Yeah, no, thank you. You must be thrilled as well by the reaction it's had, or it had. Yeah, I am absolutely sure. I, I think it's a weird thing as well, isn't it? Because debut sort of implies that perhaps the first thing you've, you've, you've ever written. Um, no, yeah. Most debut novelists are, I think, you've been you've been writing for ages, but you just can't quite get there. Yeah. Um, and and, and so in a way, I think that's quite a good thing because I I do believe that rejection, in some ways, does make you try harder, um, and in a weird way, makes you makes you get better because you know you're, you're always like no, next time I will I will sort of get better you know the, the next one will be better still and you're constantly pushing yourself yeah um, and so you know I've, I've spent about you know over 10 years practicing <laughs> in a way to try, and, to try and get that first book out there not just working on the short one I mean I've, I've, I've had lots of other sort of half finished manuscripts and other things that almost got somewhere um, and I had an agent for a short time um, about we don't probably about seven or eight years ago now, I'm sort of mid, mid-30s, late-30s. And I thought then that that was it, I've got an agent, but it's so hard to get an agent even. And I'm like, that's it, I'm, I'm made, I'm going to be published. <laughs> and then it, it didn't work out. Um, and primarily, and it was something I was talking about recently, actually tweeted about it today, because um, they really didn't want me writing what I wanted to write. And don't get me wrong, they're an amazing agent, um, and, and, and lovely, and brilliant, and very successful. But they dealt more in straight crime fiction. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of kept trying to strip all the slightly weirder, creepier horror, horror elements out of my writing. And I think we ended up with something that neither of us really liked. And I kind of made the decision that to be happy writing, I'd rather be happy writing in a way than published. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want it to feel like I was doing something that I hated and I wasn't happy about. And and I, I left that agent, and that was one of the most difficult things that I'd ever done, because I'd got an agent, and suddenly I was throwing myself back into the slush pile, um, mm-hmm. which at the time I did wonder after I'd done it if it was the stupidest thing <laughs> I'd ever done in my life. Maybe I should have just shut up and got on with it and written something to make them happy. But, you know, long term, obviously, I'm, I'm really glad I didn't, because now yeah. I've done it on my terms, I'm writing what I love, um, and it's really gratifying to see, you know, it's amazing to see the short man do so well and, and you kind of feel sort of vindicated in a way that you know you're glad you stuck to your guns yes you know there, there were periods because there was quite a long time between you know when I was unaged 
before I you know, wrote the chalk club, I did think, you know, I'm not going to get published now, and I had my shot, and that's it, it's gone. But, but you know, hey, I spoke to my guns, but I, was, but I wasn't unhappy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think I would have been unhappy if I, if I tried to force myself to do things I didn't want to do. That's it. And, I mean, no one, you can never predict how your book's going to be received no. by, by everyone else. And at least, you know, whatever happened with the chalk man, and it's fantastic, he's done fantastic well, but whatever happened, you put out what you wanted to put out. So yeah, what, but while I, you've done um, sort of what you were, like, say, if you'd have done something that you weren't happy with, then, and that hadn't worked out, that would have been even harder. Because at least yeah, you know, exactly. like, at least if you put out what you wanted to put out, you can take you know, no matter how it does, you know you, you know you put out the best you could put out. You didn't sacrifice your, you know, your work to please someone. The old adage: you do have to write what you love, because you know you it it's it's not a quick process putting out a book. Yeah. You know, if, even if you're a quick writer, you know, if especially if you try and do it around you know your day job and everything else. You know, you're looking at committing yourself to a year to write a story. So it's got to be something you, you know you really love and that really inspires you and that you want to write about. Otherwise, it's kind of like, well, why am I doing this? You know, you, you've got to enjoy it. Um, and you know, as I said, it was lovely to see success of the children. I, I feel vindicated that I sort of wrote the thing that I wanted to write. And, and again, with, with book two, it's 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 really nice. I'd say I tweeted that I was once told that kind of the mix of mystery and horror that I like to write wasn't publishable. But to a degree, you know, times change as well, because maybe at the time it wasn't what publishers were looking for, and what publishers are looking for changes. And of course, as soon as one thing is is successful, then that opens the door for other authors yeah. who want to write that type of thing. So it, it's nice to think that it, it's done so well, and and, and and I like to sort of think that I'm helping to get. Well, it, no, it's, that's it's boastful. This is not just me. There are lots of writers who are writing quite dark material, but. I, I like the fact that it, it's becoming sort of more horror influence and becoming more sort of prevalent again. There was a big thing with psychological thrillers, thrillers, thrillers even, um, and sort of what they call the domestic noir. And it, it's nice to see a few sort of books with, with an even darker, creepier edge become yeah. prominent, but a little bit more in the mainstream because it's been much more genre for a while. And yeah, so King obviously continues to be wildly successful, but there aren't that many authors writing in that kind of genre in the mainstream yeah. that you see in the charts and Smiths and, and, and so on and so forth. It, you know, how it's become a separate genre. So to have it cross over more, I think would be a nice thing. It's a good thing. I think we're seeing that in entertainment as a whole because we're seeing at the minute almost a resurgence of um, sort of course sort of King's work coming to the screen again. Absolutely. After yeah. you know, I mean, I know we've we sort of had uh, sort of a drip of them, didn't we? Obviously, he went a huge, and there was loads of them in sort of the nineties. Then he yeah. dried out, but then I get and obviously the success of the new it played a large part of that but we're seeing yeah. you know a lot I think he's got you know there's a TV series isn't it based in his world um, Castle there Rock is, I think Castle and, Rock. Yeah. Seen no it. no I don't know well, whether it airs over or where it airs over here that's that's part of the problem no I, because I kept thinking it was 
thinking is, is it actually out over here? So yeah. I, I kept seeing a lot about it and then couldn't seem to find it. And then, of course, Pet Cemetery is coming yeah. out late this year, <laughs> which is a weird one, actually, because every time I sort of seem to, I don't seem to enjoy it, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of Pet Cemetery. And it's funny that whenever I thought that a book comes out, it seems like there's a Stephen King film coming out. And I brace <laughs> myself for whatever it is, but that, you know, it's an inevitable comparison in yeah. that kind of way, just because because I like to write thematically on, yeah. on similar things sometimes. Um, and because, of course, you know, he, is, he is a big influence. But I am looking forward to seeing it. I've got to say, so I remember years ago, they made a film with Pet Cemetery years ago, I don't remember. It was, yes. That was in the early 90s, and it, it, it wasn't very good. No. Um, um, it, yeah, there's been good and bad Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Let's be honest, some have been a lot better than others. Well, my um, my uh, wife, her favourite Stephen King book is Pet Cemetery, and she she hates that awful. film. It's terrible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, she really and hates. I, I, it's one of my favourites, along with I me. Mean, the Shining's kind of a favourite because it's such a classic. But I I love Pet Cemetery, and it, I always thought it was really underrated because for a long time. It wasn't one of those books that people would talk about when talking about Stephen yeah. King. It was almost as if it was a very underrated King novel, and I always loved it. I've reread it a lot, and I haven't read it probably for about 15, 20 years now, but I read it a lot when I was younger. And I think that's one reason I haven't reread it more recently, actually, because I've got older, and of course, I have a little girl now. Yeah. And I think I would find the subject matter more terrifying and actually much <laughs> harder to read than ever. Now Definitely, I have yeah. Myself. Um, and I remember, I remember when I, I first read it as well, because my favourite piece of short fiction is The Monkey's Paw. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and when I read Pet Cemetery first, and I remember saying, oh my God, is this The Monkey's Paw? It's like a modern day take on The Monkey's Paw. Um, but it, but it's, you know, it's something that's always fascinated me, that particular question of subject matter. Um, and yeah, that's, I think it's probably one of my favourite books. But of course, King himself didn't like, yeah, he was never going to put it out, was he? Because he, he said he felt actually it was it, he did it. I think it was he had to produce one more book under contract okay. with his, his publisher, and he he never really wanted it published because he felt it was just too dark. There was no you know sort of happy ending really. Yeah, everything about it was so bleak. Um, and he obviously he's come around around that. Yeah, yeah. He's, cause yeah. Coming out year, so. <laughs> well, I think he's, but, he's yeah. So it's always been one of my favourites. I think he's, he seems to have not a particular problem with bleak endings either, does he, anymore? <laughs> exactly. I, I guess things can change. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember. I'm still sort of you more money for another film. No, I imagine, yeah. I imagine he doesn't need the money these days. But, you know, he's, he's still my hero. He can still really do no, no wrong in my eyes, yeah. really. So. I mean, he's, he's, not, he's quite happy to say what he thinks of adaptations as well, isn't he? As, he is, as yeah. As we know yeah. with uh, his vocal dislike of uh, The Shining. So, I know, yeah. Um, I can understand it. I love The Shining as a film, um, but I can understand why he wouldn't like yeah. it. I can understand, and I do appreciate all his criticism. He's right. If you're looking at it as a direct adaptation of the book, it, it's all wrong. Yeah. The casting is all wrong. All the characters are wrong. It, it, it doesn't work. As a film on its own, it's great. It's a cracking film. Yeah. But as an adaptation of the book... I can understand, yeah, why he would have issues with it because the, the casting is actually the characters are, are not right. You know, yeah. Jack Nicholson starts off far too crazy. That's not the character. He's a man slowly going mad. The wife is such such a victim um, from the start. But you know, I appreciate them both. I love the film and I love the book. Yeah, I think. It, but I can understand if you were the writer, you, you wouldn't like it. Yeah, I mean. It. It's 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 quite clearly a Kubrick film as opposed to a, a Stephen King adaptation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously, 
like I said, short man's has been great and you know talking to Stephen King and you must still pinch yourself over the fact that you've got a you know a, a line on the front of your book from Stephen King I know I mean, and yeah, I know he, you know he, <laughs> I, I think you that. <laughs> yeah and I think you've still got the pin tweet as well I believe <laughs> So, never going. No, never I, going no, I think... It's amazing how we've got a tattoo, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean... <laughs> Lee... Walk around wearing a T-shirt with it on every single day. Um, yeah, it, it was amazing. It was... Because um, it was a complete shock, because I knew... I knew that I'd sent the book to him, because it was, you know, they ask you, actually, when you write a book, because, obviously, you know, authors give quotes for the people's yeah. books. Uh, if, if, you know, they're not, if they're kind and generous. And they say, you know, it's it, it only you'd like the book sent to, because we'll ask the people for quotes. Um, and other authors are very generous with giving quotes if they like a book. It's, it's really nice. Um, and people send books to me now. It's amazing if, if you know, <laughs> they care that what I mean, really. Um, but, you know, top of my list, obviously, I, I said, I was joking there, but, oh, you know, because of Stephen King, I'd love, I'd love it if it was sent to him. You know, not thinking for a minute that I would ever see that, see him read it, you know. It was that daydream that, you know, you have at yeah. the moment, you know, thinking, oh, it may have a book published. It would be amazing if I had a quote from Stephen King on the cover in my daydream. Um yeah, and I was on the train to London, and uh, I opened my Twitter page, and of course I followed Stephen King, and it was the first tweet that popped up in my timeline, um, and the tweet was, yeah, recommending the Chalkman, um, and I, I had to read it several times over, because <laughs> um, I started reading it, thinking, because obviously he does tweet occasionally, he's yeah. incredibly generous, he tweets about books he likes, um, I started reading it, thinking, what is this he's talking about, this book that he thinks is pretty good, um, and oh my god, it's mine, <laughs> 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 and I did do a bit check the account to make sure it was actually Stephen King and not somebody winding me up. Yeah. Um, and I think I just sort of went, bloody hell, <laughs> in the middle of the train. I immediately got on the phone to my partner in a very excited and annoying voice to all the rest of the passengers probably screaming down the phone at him. Because, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, without a shadow of a doubt, I think the best day of my life, apart from obviously having my daughter and meeting my partner, which I yeah. have to say quickly. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, right. it, it, it was just dream come true. He's my absolute yeah. hero. And for him to, to do that uh, was amazing. And then I I, I, I replied, obviously, I had to take my chance to reply. Um, I said crumbs or something, cause, cause, as you do, um, and said what a fan I was, etc. And I, yeah, I didn't really expect him to reply to me. And then he just replied later and just said, you rock. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I think that was even better. I, I, yeah. Uh, that is going on the tombstone. It's going on the grave. Steve, Stephen King said, you rock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because your heroes do that, you go, oh my goodness, he, he now is, is more my hero than ever. I've, I've read his books for all, yeah. all my life. Um, and just just imagining he actually has read something that I've written is, is mind-blowing. But, yeah, to be able to sort of have that quote and put it on the cover was... was it still just puts a huge, huge grin on my face. Yeah. I still can't quite believe you can, it. You can tell um, just listening to you that even though, you know, it's almost yeah. like it could have happened yesterday. Sort of it is. It's still, it's still so exciting to me, mate. Really, yeah. Excellent. So, um, as we're talking, we're we're about what a week since um, since the taking of Annie Thorne was released yes. um, in. So I think it was like uh, sort of mid February time. Um, yes. And I've seen obviously the the feedback I've seen of that so far has been brilliant. Um, and I think you was you you know it's it's doing very well. It's, it's been amazing. It's been a because I was nervous about it. But, yeah. Because um, the chalk man did really well, and that was you know amazing, well beyond my expectations. Because I would kind of downplay stuff. I don't like to get too excited about things. I don't like to be disappointed. Um, 
and yeah, then obviously that people talk about that difficult second book. Yeah. If the first book has done well, because suddenly there's expectation, they're aware that you know that you know you, you you could let people down, or that you know inevitably some people would be like, well, I didn't like it as much as the chalk man, and that's that's fine, you know, that's that's all good, but you kind of have to brace yourself. Yeah. Because you know you, you've suddenly got a book out there that you have to live up to. And yeah, you yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You you are time. you are now a an author with a reputation. And I an, know. And, and no, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, like you say, you're not. You, it's not a case of well, I've put this out. Great if it does well. If it does, if it doesn't, well, no one knows anyway. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you, like you say, you, you're never going to get away from it being compared. And no, or even no. Stephen King's been releasing books for. 30 40 years more than that probably and you know he's always going to get his books compared to you know the stand the shining things like that so it's yeah you know, it's I, think, I think that's it you know you, you just you know what's going to happen yeah um, and you sort of have to brace yourself for that and i was i always say because as long as book two does it's okay and people like it and i think i was perhaps more nervous because the chalk man obviously alludes to some sort of supernatural horror aspects but it, it's actually much more a mystery thriller yeah. Um, it, it, it's much more grounded in reality. Whereas the taste of Annie Thorne does go darker and it does kind of go more into that supernatural territory. And I think I was, I was more nervous about that, about taking kind of people with me on that, whether it would alienate some people who, you know, who, who don't like that kind of going into that sort of darker, more horror genre. Um, and and I, was, I knew I was treading more of a fine balance with this one. Uh, so the fact that it has, you know, mostly received, you know, because obviously there's some people who don't, who don't like it or don't like it as much as the short man, yeah. um, and, and that's all good, that's absolutely fine. Um, but, but, but I've had, yeah, an amazing response. It's been lovely. It's been, it's been brilliant that it's got such a good response. And some people have even said, well, I love it more than the chalk man. I need to step up to the chalk man. And others have gone, oh, I don't really like it. You know, normally I wouldn't sort of read something that goes a bit more supernatural, but actually I've really loved it. And, and those things have been, have been really great. And, I, and it, it's a huge relief than anything that it's doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've um, I've I've not actually read it yet, um, although I'm looking forward to it. Um, but Yay! yeah, it's um, generally I I tend to wait for paperbacks. If I'm honest, I'm I'm not. I read a lot commuting, which makes hardbacks yeah. quite difficult. But they are um, they are harder. Yeah, um, I, but, think, but, I think that's the thing. Paperbacks are easier. Yeah, I mean, even just getting them in a bag, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> You've got to carry it a long way. Yeah. Yeah, but I've been um. I've been looking at the, you know, the feedback, and there's been a lot saying, oh, and which you would like to say, there's going to be comparisons, but a lot of people saying, you know, how great the second book is, how it's shown, you know, that what that to short man, which you see like saying, oh, wasn't just a sort of one trick or flash in the pan, because obviously yeah, pe- people people are always at, exactly, yeah. you know, that's people are always looking for the, oh, did they just get lucky the once sort of thing? Yeah, um, that, which that's true, like you it? say, which had is. Probably part of what adds to the the anxiety in the run up to it. I think that's it. I think, and also because in some degree, yeah, a lot of authors have more time on that first book, that debut. So you know, yeah. you may be worse like for a very yes. long time to get it as good as possible. And then suddenly, once you're under contract and you have a publisher, if you're lucky enough to be at that stage, you'll be asked to deliver another book in about a year. Yeah. Because you know, it, it, it's like everything. It's there's, there's a time scale for this stuff, and you know, kind of publishers would rather you were putting out a book a year than going, well, actually, I think I'm going to need another four or five years to write this book. <laughs> They're not too keen on that. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I'd actually 
I wrote quite a lot of the taking of Annie's thought before I wrote the chalk line plain enough. I actually had the idea back in 2014. Okay. Um, and I'd written a fair chunk of it, but then I, I got a little bit stuck and had the idea for the chalk line. And I, I thought, well, you know, while I'm not getting anywhere on the other book, which it was called The Pit at the time, um, I'm going to I'm gonna write this one, so I think this is a good idea. And obviously, I, I wrote that, and it, it really flowed, and I thought, I'm going to keep at this one, because I think, oh, yeah, I've got I might have something here, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of event came off, I got the agent and, and a publishing deal. But then my agent said to me at the time, said, have you got any ideas for book two? And I said, well, actually, I had this other thing, that other project that I was working on, that I still really like. Um, and I showed her what I had of that, and she really loved it. And so that became my book two, because I, I got a two-book a two deal, and I think um, a lot of publishers were sold on that being the book two. Yeah. So in some regards, when I came to, to you know, getting back to it after the chalkman, it was easier because I didn't have to stare at a blank page. I, I was committed to writing something. I'd already written quite a lot of it, um, and I just kind of had to make sure I could make it work and deliver it there. Um, so I, I sort of had that a little bit easier. But, but you know, you do have to be able to, to write quite fast, and you do have to be kind of quite continually working at it. It is, at the end of the day, a job. And there aren't yeah. many writers I know who could spend their time swanning around being awfully about it because, you know, you have to get up every day, you have to sit there, and you have to get writing because you have deadlines um, and, and they have to, be, have to be delivered because, you know, there's a stage to everything. So, yeah. And finding that has, has been interesting. I think for me it works really well because I I, I can't stop writing. I'm, I've always got another idea, and you know I, and I love writing, and it's, it's a huge privilege to get up morning and go, well, yeah, this is my job. <laughs> yeah. But you know you, you have to be able to do that, and you have to be able to keep it up. Like it's not enough to have one one book that might be good or enough fluke. Yeah, the next book has to be good. And in some ways, people are expecting the next one to be better. And as an author, you want to push yourself to be better with each book. So I've just finished book three and sent it off to my editor. Yes, I saw the tweet. And, and that, that was awful. It was, it was, book three was, was really difficult because I was trying to put, you know, I was pushing myself. I wanted to do different stuff. I wanted yeah. to push myself further. And it was really difficult at times. There were times where I was thinking, God, I'm never going to make this book come together. What was I thinking? <laughs> So I think in a way, each one gets harder because you're trying to outdo the previous one. Yes. And you want to keep pushing yourself um but also although obviously it's fantastic that you can um that you are writing for for a living doing what you love but at the same time it does take away then the, the sort of writing for yourself so that um, there, there is a i mean I'm, I'm sure you yeah. do but there's an added pressure there like you say because there's deadlines because there's expectations um yeah i think you have to, you're writing for yourself when you're in, in it and writing. Yeah. But you know you have to be aware that it's you know you, you have you have to have finished things by a certain time. You know you have to be more aware of of, of you know other people. And I don't think other people's expectations. But you know you you, you have to treat it like it, it, it's a job. Um, you know now you can do it full time. You know I I 
make sure I devote, you know, a good chunk of time to doing it every day. And obviously yeah. some days better than others, but I'm a big believer in just getting something down, even if it's rubbish, you can always edit it the next day. Um, because, you know, I don't want to let my publishers down for a start. I don't want to let all the people who put their faith in me down. I want to produce some really good people who, you know, spend their hard-earned cash on buying something that I've written. And I want to make them happy, and I want them to enjoy the next one more. I don't want people to pick up the book and be disappointed. Yeah. So, you know, they're, 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 you know, it's not what, that you think of it while you're writing it, because when you're writing it, you're in the moment of writing it. But it, it's there at the back of your mind that, you know, you, you've got sort of more, more things going on. And, you know, I'm one of these probably conscientious people who, you know, who wants to, to please people and make sure everybody's happy with stuff. So, yeah, so there is that. There are, there are added factors, obviously, when it, it sort of becomes writing for your living. But, you know, at the moment, I'm just waiting for, for my notes from my editor on book three. Because, you know, what happens is you write a book and you send it to your editor and then they go, this is wonderful, we love it. You're doing something you love, yeah, and, and like like you said, I'm sure you know there were times when it was you know before it comes out that you were wondering, you know, whether that was going to happen. Yeah, so, I was given up on get, ever getting published. To be honest, yeah. I, I really didn't think it was going to happen. So it, it is all more satisfying and amazing, you know, that it has. Excellent, brilliant, and I know obviously um, this this podcast is uh, you know it's a, it's a podcast talk to people with links and connections with Nottingham uh, I know you're I think you're living in Sussex now aren't you um, yeah we moved um, last year I mean I've yeah. lived in Nottingham pretty much all of my life but we have a daughter she's five and our family's both in the south actually myself and my partner Neil um, and we really wanted babysitters because <laughs> <laughs> particularly with the writing because, yes because um, I've been publishing quite a few other countries as well. There's actually quite a lot of travelling that I've had to do. And it was becoming quite difficult with my partner with his full-time job, getting time off to look after our little girl. And his parents were constantly travelling up. And we thought, you know, well, perhaps the time has come to make the move, to be closer to family. So, you know, we can have a bit more help. Yeah. And obviously it'd be nice for, you know, the grandparents to be a bit more of a little girl as well. So we, we took the plunge. We moved south. Ah, we've, we've become southerners. <laughs> <laughs> But, but it's, you know, it, it, it's lovely down here, and obviously we still got a lot of friends in Nottingham still, so I was back up in Nottingham to the launch, too. Yes, I saw so, you. So, you know, we're still really travelling back and forth between, but, we, you know, we, we sort of had to make, we'd, we'd always said it'd be nice to be, you know, be a bit close to family, and, it, it, you know, it seemed the right thing to do. Excellent. So, when you, so you, you say, because I, I think you were, were you, you were born in Salisbury, is that right? I was, but, yeah, I was born in Salisbury and Wiltshire, and then we moved to Nottingham when I was seven. 
And then, aside from a short period where I was living in Manchester for a few years, um, yeah, I've lived in Nottingham pretty much for all of my life. Long time, so I've seen it go through a lot of changes over that time yeah. as well. Uh, but I love Nottingham, it's such a, it's a brilliant city, so we were back there for the launch, and that was really nice to have the launch with water those in Nottingham, because that's where I used to go and buy all my books. Yes, and I wrote some of Taking Around, you saw them there as well at the cafe. you mentioned there about writing in Waterstones um, in the cafe because that's what I wondered whether there were any sort of haunts around Nottingham that you like to to write you know chill and write at you know any little places that were where you could just get on with it because obviously we've got there's some lovely areas in Nottingham little cafes great you know open parks and things yeah. like that you really haven't because I used to live in um, in Arnold so oh yeah. My local writing spot actually used to be the Arnold Costa Coffee. Cause I used to go down there. Yeah. Just down the road. So I'd go and sit in the Costa Coffee there if I wasn't in Nottingham to do stuff. And then I'd come to Nottingham sometimes. And I used to really like this the cafe because I used to come and write, buy books, and then sit and write there as well. Um, so I used to write a lot in both of those places. Um, and, and you know, because my house didn't have a writing space, so. It was either, you know, either get out and sit somewhere and write when I had some spare time or, you know, sit at the dining room table surrounded by kind of, you know, headless Barbies and play <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so those are sort of my, my two main writing spots when I was in Nottingham. Excellent. Obviously, Nottingham's, um, you know, it's, it's now a city of literature. And uh, know, so yeah. there's a nice, it's getting quite a nice spot. Obviously, it's always got a, a rich history, you know, yeah. from, you know, Byron, Lawrence, Silito. Um, but it's it's getting a nice spotlight on it and a real push. You know, we have literature festivals, poetry festivals, and yeah, seems... it's, it's great. I mean, I, what was nice about coming back actually for taking many storm was because obviously that is actually set in Nottinghamshire. Okay. So it felt really right to sort of have the launch there because it's set in a in a former mining village. Because um, I was, when I, I went to school in a in a, a small mining village actually. Um, and that's where I went to senior school. And so I'd always, I'd always thought it was quite a good setting for like yeah. a sort of mystery coroner. I don't know why. I just, I've always walked to walk dogs actually over when they closed on the colliers, obviously. I used to walk them over the old Gedling. Yeah, because that's and now a big country park. Yeah, it's lovely yeah. up there. Yeah. But it was, I always just think it still felt, felt quite somehow, I don't know whether dead little barren is the right word. I'm always just thinking about, you know, how. Beneath the ground, because often they close the pitch box, they left machinery and stuff yeah. there, and they took a message to bring them up. And I always think about what was that lying in tunnels and things deep beneath the ground. That sort of got me thinking about stuff. Um, and I always thought about the former mining village, certainly one that perhaps, you know, suffered greatly after the strike and wasn't redeveloped or invested in, would be quite a good kind of setting for a sort of a mystery horror novel. Um, and that's sort of when the, sort of the ideas sort of started to come around and, and the, the village of Arnhill is quite sort of, quite sort of grim little village sort of started to take shape. Yeah. The former mine village. Um, and it, it just seemed like a really good setting for a mystery horror novel. Um, 
and then of course I could base a lot of it upon you know where I used to go to school and, and growing up. So it, yeah, it was it was, it was sort of really good to come back and launch it in Nottingham because this one's got much more of a local feel to it as well. Excellent. Excellent, that's great. Right, I'm not going to take up any more of your time then, because I know, <laughs> um, obviously it's, it's yeah, getting late it's in the evening. And, and yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us, and uh, yeah, congratulations again on the the success of the box. And yeah, uh, thank you very much. We'll keep our eyes out. So I know you've already sent, like you said, th- the third one off. Um, is there a a planned release date for that yet, or is it still? Oh, is it? Oh, the other people. Yeah, we, we, we're moving ahead swiftly. It's called The Other People, and it's out in February 2020. Brilliant. There was one quick thing I wanted to ask, and that's, is there a particular reason for the book um, having a different name in America? Because that threw me when I first saw it. I thought, oh, you've got another book. Oh, no. Uh, is it The Hiding know, Place or something like that? Is it? It's called The Hiding Place yeah. in America. And it's got a different title and a different cover. Yeah, it looks very... Confusion, actually. It looks very different because your books have got... It does. Over here, they've got quite yeah. a striking and similar style, haven't they, to yeah. the, to the covers? I mean, I mean you do tend to find in different countries, you know, they, they do tend to... Obviously, obviously, some titles don't translate. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, every, every country has a specific... You know, they know their market. So, you know, they'll quite often have a different cover. Um, I've seen the Italian cover for the Taking Money Store. That's very different, but it's, it's very, very cool. A lot of the countries put the same cover for the Chalk Man, apart from America and <laughs> a different cover. Taken of Annie Thorne, I think that I find that just the name creepy. Exactly, like, which it I is. think works. And yeah, it is creepy. I think, I think to be fair, I think that's why America avoids it a little bit. They don't. Someone told me they don't like books that have children's names in or children's ah, okay. peril on the cover. Yeah. So that might be part of it, and also they, they don't like their books. Rather, like I said, we were just embracing horror a bit more. America still has a thing where they don't like their books to look too horror because it doesn't get them front of bookstore right, in the okay. category. So, I think there's a play to make it look sort of more, as they call it, suspense. So, it gets more front of the bookstore. So, it's, as I say, there's lots of thinking behind covers and titles. Of so, course, you know, yeah. Instinctively, I know what I like and don't like. But you yeah. have to kind of go, but I'm not the expert on how they sell books in this country. So, I will be guided by my publishers. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they know what they're doing, don't they? Like exactly. You say, they're, they're not... I think they probably know better than me. Yeah. So. But yeah, I mean, I, I do love the, the the covers of the book. I mean, the Chalkman one. Even now, I still keep trying to wipe the 
the chalk off. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, right, well, thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. And uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll all look forward to when book three comes out. And yeah, hopefully, and, you know, hopefully there's some people listening today that uh, will get the chance to um, get that enjoyment from the chalk man and get some new readers in and things. Yeah, it that'd is be amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. I would highly recommend it, definitely. there you go that was ng meets cj tudor hopefully you all enjoyed that chat just as much as i enjoyed recording it and of course if you haven't yet checked out the chalk man or the taking of Annie thorn i really recommend you do fantastic books um you'll have i think got a vibe of what they're about there but i can't really give too much away because so much would uh, have an impact on your enjoyment of the storyline but yeah if you want to check them out and of course cj said she's got a next book will be out next year so that's that for this episode don't forget to uh, to give us a like and uh, let us know what you think of the podcast you can contact us at info at ng-digital.co.uk or on twitter at ng-digital-uk or facebook.com forward slash ng-digital and of course as i said before you can get all the episodes of ng meets from ng-digital.podbean.com or via iTunes and other podcasting apps. So hopefully you enjoyed this show. Keep an eye on our social media for the announcement for the next guest. That will be coming up in a couple of weeks' time. But between that, of course, don't forget to check out the Nottingham Live show, which is part of the NG Digital Podcast Network. If you want to listen to that with Tanya, that will be the next episode of that will be next week, Friday, the 22nd of March. And of course, you can keep up with all that's going on in Nottingham at nottinghamlive.co.uk. So thanks for listening and we'll see you all again soon. NG Meets is brought to you by NG Digital. Visit our website at www.ng-digital.co.uk and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash NG Digital or follow us on Twitter at NG Digital UK.